Okay, if you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. I'll be reading Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. <clears throat> now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost 
and is found. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, grace me with the anointing, with the presence of your Spirit, with his working in my mind, in my heart, to be a vessel of this parable. That it penetrate, it hit, it convict, it comfort, all the varying things you desire to do, let my words be a servant unto that. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible is it's like, a, it's like a mirror. At first we think we're reading about other people's lives. Like we just read here, oh, look, look at that guy. What an idiot. And then you notice in the mirror if God's grace is opening your heart, you notice in the mirror that those characters refer to parts of you. The story of the prodigal son is like that mirror. As we look today in one of the most familiar stories in human history, and you start to read and think, yeah, it's about a younger brother, it's about an older brother, it's about a father. But if you look closely and let the Spirit work, you'll notice in the mirror reflections of yourself. And if you do, that's God's mercy leading you to repentance. This parable leads to repentance by the Spirit because we also see in it the unfathomable mercy and love of God the Father pleading with hearts that have become hardened. Pleading with wayward, worldly sinners or with legalistic hypocrites. So, as you've been here, you remember now, this is the third parable in Luke chapter 15. All three parables in Luke 15 are Jesus' answer to the accusations of the Pharisees and the scribes, back in verses 1 to 2. Remember? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man eats with sinners. He receives them. It is that grumbling accusation of the religious leaders and the so-called religious elite, self-righteous, legalist that Jesus is addressing. And as we saw last week, he told first two parables explaining the reason he eats with sinners, hangs with sinners, loves sinners, intends to reach sinners. He says it's like a shepherd who found his lost sheep. And rejoiced. He says it's like a, a woman who found that lost coin and rejoiced. 
And in both of those answers we saw last week, the lost sheep and the lost coin referred to lost human beings. Lost sinners. And we saw that being found by Jesus represents repentance in them and the celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents. And now, this morning, in verses 11 through 32, he gives his third answer to the accusation of the Pharisees and scribes. And he essentially says, the reason I eat with them and hang with them is because it's like the Father who finds a lost son returning home and he celebrates big time. Get the flow of this chapter. In verse 6, the shepherd says, Rejoice with me because I found my sheep that was lost. In verse 9, the woman says, Rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost. And we will see this morning in verse 24, the Father says, For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I think there's roughly 10 million people in the Los Angeles basin. Many of them feel really lonely, as if no one understands them. They feel radically lost to the point where some of them take their own lives. But none of them were absolutely lost. Absolute Lostness means being cut off from God the Father forever. It means to die in the pigsty without ever coming to your senses and saying, I could go back home. So, whether you're a person who has not yet come to Christ or whether you've been a Christian for 30 years, as we read this parable this morning, We're meant to look at Jesus. We're meant to understand something about Him. We're meant to understand something about God the Father's heart in sending His Son to find lost, wayward sinners or religious legalists. So in this parable, we're going to see the misery that sin and lostness brings. We're going to see the nature of what repentance is, and we'll see the mind-boggling love of God the Father. And then the parable will take a turn, and it will instruct us on how not to approach God. So, let's go to it. Chapter 15, Luke, we'll start with verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. 
And the father divided his property between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Running away from God starts with feeling free. Let's party. He had all that money. Let's go have fun. And then it ends in misery, either in this life or in the life to come, or both. This guy took his inheritance, which was bountiful, and he wasted it all in reckless, wild partying, spending on prostitutes in drunkenness. Live and let live. It always feels free for a season. And then, when he has spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So here he is eat, drink, be merry, and then reality hits. He realizes he is really messed up. He has made some stupid and wise, unwise choices. Put this together with the other two parables Jesus just told in front of it. And if you are a sheep whom Jesus intends to find, the providence of a famine comes. And he realized his lostness. See the words? He began to be in need. And then verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent this Jewish guy into the fields to feed pigs. So here he is. He went out free, partying, spend it all. God's providence comes. Their economy was whacked with a famine. And he ended up miserable because of his sinful choices. You know, it may be drugs, alcohol, sinful sex, money making children, spouse, hobbies, TV, anything that breaks us away from our relationship with the one who created us. Those anythings, good or what we would consider bad, when they become a substitute, We are lost. And then verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Isn't that how it often feels for many of us, especially if we come to Christ 
in adulthood, something like that. This is the way I wrote it a few years ago when I wrote up my conversion experience. By the fall of 1980, emptiness and the same old fears were becoming the air I breathed. I fell into my first bout with a sense of profound meaninglessness and mild depression which only marijuana soothed temporarily. I was a hollow, barren, lost soul trying to numb the pain of reality with that which could never truly satisfy but the closet of artificial peace was more bearable than the pain and the fear of purposelessness. In other words, I began to be in need. I was longing to be fed the pods that the pigs ate. Now again, this guys he's a Jew. Pigs represent an unclean animal you don't eat bacon. He sunk as low as he could go. And that misery leads to verses 17 to 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me. Please treat me. as one of your hired servants. He came to himself. He, He realized that he was looking for happiness in all the wrong places. So he turned around and looked to his father in his father's house. I'm going to spend a few minutes just thinking about this turn here. That's a biblical word for repentance. Three aspects of repentance we see here. The first aspect of genuine saving faith or saving repentance is You come to your senses. That's what the words, he came to himself, means. In other words, the bells went off. What am I doing? I am out of my mind. The bells go off. There is a God who created me. He created me for him. Thus, oh, do I sense this God-shaped vacuum within my heart. He comes to his senses and says, I see it now. My Father's house is where I need to go and go immediately. Even the servants and the employees there are treated far better than I am in the world. That's the first sense of real repentance. One comes to their senses about reality. And secondly, there is a deep sense 
of unworthiness before God. You feel your brokenness, your sin. Quote, And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We are all guilty. We are all rebels. We have all known that there is a creator and that creator ought rightly be adored and worshipped and depended upon and we have all turned away and rejected Him. So repentance includes this deep sense of how horribly offensive our sinfulness to our Creator is. And we know we, we have no rights before Him. So those are the first two. You come to your senses, you feel your unworthiness, and it leads to the third thing about repentance we see here. You fall upon the mercy of the Father. You just, you, you owe me nothing. You fall upon His bounty. My Father has everything I would need. I don't deserve any of it, but I'm going to go to Him. And when in the parable Jesus says, after, I will rise and go to my Father. And in verse 19, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I just want to just talk about it for a moment. Jesus' point there is not to say, earn your keep. It's not what he's saying. What Jesus is doing here, he's saying repentance is the heart that realizes the rich, and the, the, the generosity, the bounty of his Father. So much so that even the servants are really well off. That's the point. I'd rather be a servant in your house than the owner of my own estate out there in the world. Because your bounty is beyond anything I can imagine. This idea, I'll become one of your servants, not worthy to be called your son. The focus is not on the son serving the father. The focus is on the father's incredible abundance of generosity that he now realizes he has so foolishly traded in for the fleeting pleasures of sin. Repentance is believing the truth that God owns everything. That God the Father's abundance for our true happiness is without bounds. Oh, to be a servant in that house would make one so fulfilled. And so, in the parable, the son now turns away from the outside world and he goes home to the father. 
And that brings us in this passage to what Jesus purchased on the cross. He purchased the Father's joy in accepting unworthy sinners home. See verse 20? And He arose and came to His Father. But while He was still a long way off, His Father saw Him and felt compassion and ran and embraced Him and kissed Him. That's Jesus' genuine picture of God the Father. Now, why did this Father run to the Son? The text says, because He felt compassion. Jesus bought that. He felt compassion. But while He was still a long way off, Father sees someone's coming. Is it Him? It is Him. He feels compassion. And He ran. And He embraced Him. And He kissed this sinner. Son, if you have returned home to the Father, or if you ever will in the future return home to the Father, that right there is the picture of what is happening. Never forget this drama Jesus gives us. God runs and embraces and kisses horrific sinners who come home through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, the son, he's there, he starts to make his confession before the father, and the father doesn't let him finish. He cuts him off and says in verse 22, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and party. Celebrate. See, if you came to Christ yesterday or 30 years ago, we constantly have to be reminded to think biblically. That's how God responds to your sin this week when He again renewed you to repentance. If by grace, yeah, think about whatever that is, and you know you've come. Father, I've sinned. 
Oh, Christ, I love Your Son and His blood that has washed it away. He again and again says, kill the fatted calf and let's celebrate. Because He will not dishonor Jesus. The whole point of Jesus' earthly ministry that we're seeing here throughout the narrative of Luke, the whole point of His ministry here in answer to the Pharisees and the scribes' accusation, He eats with skinners, is summed up in verse 24. For this my son was dead and now is alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. I just want to play music and spirit put that deep within us. But we don't have time, so. This is at the point now, the parable turns. So at this point, Jesus has answered why He receives tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and hangs with them and laughs with them and eats with them and teaches them and preaches to them. Why does He do that? He's just explained it and we just saw the picture. Now in the second part of the parable, He unpacks why the scribes and why the Pharisees grumble at Jesus for doing such a thing. Why they grumble at a God who would receive such a son home. The older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling. Pick up with verse 25. And now... His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But this older brother was angry and he refused to go in to the party. But his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You go ahead and kill the fatted calf for him. And the father said to his son, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. These words here go straight to the heart of what Christianity is. 
and what it is not. Those who are being saved by Jesus are in a right relationship with God the Father through a heart of faith. Through a heart of trusting in the Father's abundance and willingness to lavish it upon them as sons and daughters. Those are the people who are being saved. And that's the way He does it. Never through thinking you earned it. You deserved it. See, if we get that wrong, then everything goes awry. And the older brother got it all wrong. The key words to how wrong he got it are right there in verse 29. Let's read them again. And the older brother answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice, he sees himself relating to the Father as a Slave relates to a master, or as an employee relates to an employer. Look, these many years, Father, I have served you. And that word serve, duluo, is the word for what in that economy slaves do. This guy did not relate to his father as a father. He related to him as if he were a slave or an employee, doing job tasks, serving him, and he ought to be repaid. This is not the way the father wants his children to relate to him. It is, in fact, a distortion of biblical Christianity. Do you remember how the Apostle Paul said it in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, verse 25, preaching to a lot of pastors and elders before he's leaving Ephesus? He said, Nor is God served by human hands, as if He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It is, it is arrogant and it is dishonoring to God the Creator to treat Him as a master or as a, an employer for whom you do stuff that He needs, and thus He owes you in return. The only approach that honors God is childlike faith. 
trust in all of His sufficiency. Jesus said it this way in Mark 10.45. The Son, referring to Himself, did not come to be served. But He came to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to die on a cross, to gather people to Him because He was in need of employees to do all these tasks He needed in His world. He laid down His life in order to bring lost, undeserving sinners into His redemptive life of enjoying Him forever. Of enjoying, as we have seen in the last chapter, the free banquet of God. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the older brother, they just can't fathom what that would mean whatsoever precisely because they had a totally different mindset. It goes like this. Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. This is a a really good test to see if there's something still there in your heart that thinks, you know, the other brother, he really does have a legitimate complaint. Because to the extent we feel that is to the extent we don't get the gospel of Jesus Christ. Goodbye. God is never a needy employer or slave master who needs tasks to be accomplished by us. He is the all-sufficient fountain of eternal joy. And He says to all who will come, drink. To all who are burdened and come to the place, I would love to eat the pods that the pigs get to eat, but I, but I have not. He says, Come, and I'll fill your belly. Come, I'll give you rest. It's a heart of faith, and a heart of faith only that is connected to the Savior Jesus Christ. And it is that faith that is the fruit that you belong. To him, as the younger son says, I'll go to my father. I'll go home to his house because he has all that I need. When people, and it happens within the guise of Christianity all the time, when people and true believers, we all fall into it to one extent or another. Why am I experiencing that? Why is there cancerous growth in my body? Why is the children going wayward? 
Why did my business collapse? Why this? How come those? Oh my gosh, what, what's, God, I've done this. I've done, and we do it all. The time is just right there. When people relate to God as a slave, as I'm a, I'm a command doer who deserves better than my younger brother. For years, I didn't stray. And he strayed. He comes home, and the very first night, you throw a party, and he's bitter. Religious legalism, which is almost synonymous with man-centered, me-centered pride is not only a sign of a person being cut off from God, but that, as we see in the text, will cut you off horizontally from other people. It'll cut you off from having a heart of compassion toward others. Isn't that what he means when he says, but when this... And I think Jesus knew what He was doing when He framed the story this way. When this son of yours, not this brother of mine, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property, Father, with prostitutes, you go ahead and kill a fatty calf for him. See, Jesus tells a story. It's picturing the reality of the context in which he's speaking this story. Verse 1 and 2. And now, a bunch of older brothers were watching Jesus. And now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear, listen to Jesus. Younger brothers. And then the older brothers, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. When we relate to God as a slave or as an employee to an employer according to our works, therefore I get a paycheck, we are showing that we totally miss the gospel of grace. It's been the history of the church. We show that we take some truths about Christ and we get how we relate to God through Christ wrong and we wipe the entire gospel out. This was happening in the first century. Do you remember Acts 15? Luke will go on to let us know in Acts. In chapter 15, verses 1, we read, But some men, this is some Jewish professing Christians from Jerusalem and Judea, came down from Judea up to Antioch, a lot of Gentile believers there, some Jews, mainly Gentiles, came up to Antioch and they were teaching the brothers, the Gentile Christians, Unless you 
are circumcised according to the customs of Moses. You've got to get this for them. Okay, this is great. Maybe, maybe these outsiders, non-Jewish people, I've never disobeyed you. I've never strayed. We're Jewish. We're circumcised. We don't eat pigs. We keep kosher. We wash right before we eat. We're ceremonially clean. Okay, okay, we got to go up there. That, that's great that they can be saved. Okay, maybe. But you can't just say, I love Jesus, and then not do these works and become Jewish. It really bothered a lot of these guys coming from Judea. So much so, they found it their calling in life to go correct Paul and Peter. And said, so Gentiles, you can't remain Gentiles. You have to now start doing these laws of Moses. Or, here's the last line, if you don't, you cannot be saved. And then later, Paul wrote about this problem because these professing Christians would follow Paul around to try to correct him. And Paul wrote in Galatians, when they come and put a twist on the gospel saying it's great that you come to faith in Christ, okay, okay, we affirm all that, but you got to go on now and add mosaic laws and works to your life or you can't be saved. Paul says when they put that twist on it, the gospel, it's not just a gospel that's twisted, it becomes no gospel at all in Galatians 1. And in Galatians 2, he goes on to say very clearly, starting with verse 15, Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, yet, we know that a person is not justified, that means made right with God, is not justified by works of the law, but only through faith. In Jesus Christ. And therefore, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be made right with God. But now, you can feel the tension between a younger brother an older brother, two different approaches. But watch what the Father does. Watch how the Father deals with the legalist, the self-righteous older brother. And keep in mind, when Jesus is doing this, there are tax collectors around, prostitutes, and in the back over there, there's Pharisees, scribes. He's speaking... To the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus is reaching out to the religious hypocrites, to the legalists, when he says this. Look at verse 28. The Father came out and entreated the older brother. Jesus came into the world to save religious hypocrites, legalists, as well as tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves. 
The Father does not want slavish obedience at all. But He came out and pleaded with His Son. That's what it means. He entreated Him, appealing to His Son's heart to change. He's saying essentially, Son, act like a son, not a slave. The gospel is not about trying to get people to do things right. That's what the older brother thought it was about. But I served you. I never disobeyed you. I, I've worked really hard in my religion. And this guy didn't, and you give him a party, and he's ticked off. The older son complains, but the father says, son, actually, it's really not the word Huios in Greek, it's son. It's the word for child. It's technon. He says to him in the Greek, Child, you are always with me. And everything I have, it's yours. It was fitting to celebrate with your brother when he came home. This only seems right. He entreated the brother with the words, My child. Not my servant, my employee, my slave. With that one word, the Father shined the light on the distortions happening in the heart of the Pharisees and scribes. And legalist throughout church history. You remember Paul? Remember how Paul said it? Because Paul was one of these guys before he was found by the shepherd. And Paul said this way in Philippians, because he, he, he just very easily says it because he was one of them, that that religion of the older brother is, is at its core self-worship. He says, does anyone have reason to boast? I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to my zeal in my religion, I was so zealous that I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness found in the law, in my religion, I was blameless. I never disobeyed your commands, Father. And he was on his way to hell. And in the text, the father doesn't try to argue with the elder brother. He just pleads with him. Become child 
like. Because this is the only relationship that gets sinners into the banquet of heaven. Whether it's a prostitute or a Pharisee. Whether it's a younger brother or an older brother. He says, child, you are always with me. With me. I am a father to you. The guy lived in his father's house. And he found no joy in being with the father. And Jesus is directly pointing to the Pharisees and the scribes. They totally missed the point of the Scriptures. They totally missed the point of the Messiah. Notice verse 29. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends What is he talking about? He's a son. Everything the father owns is his. The young goats were always at his disposal. So why does he say that? Because the father wasn't his treasure. It's unfolding the heart of persons, religious persons, who think like this. I go to church. I do X, Y, and Z. And now I'm mad at you, God, because you didn't favor me. You favored him. Not only that, this guy was so bad. He didn't do any of this stuff I did. Those words, son, you are always with me. They meant nothing to him. And unless the Pharisees are repenting, they mean nothing to them. Unless the church filled with Pharisees today... They repent, they mean nothing to millions of religious people. God is not the treasure of the legalist. To be with the Father is not their goal. To be praised by others is. Or to have a goat and a party and gifts from the Father is their goal. When he directs his words to the scribes and the Pharisees through the parable, having the Father say, all that is mine is yours, Jesus' point is that everything God has that is good is for his children. And it's never dispensed as wages 
for employees. All that is mine is yours. Pharisees, if you will come in with the sinners and not as legalists who think they deserve better. There is such irony in Jesus' earthly ministry as we have been seeing for the last year or so. And now the tax collectors and the sinners were all flocking to be with Jesus and to listen to Him. I mean, those people who didn't care so much about religion and being precisely ceremonially clean like the Pharisees. But in those who didn't care anything about synagogue or anything with the tax collectors, they're flocking to the Savior. They want to hear Him. And then the religious says, they grumbled. And you're angry at this religious leader called Jesus who would hang out with such sinners. It's ironic. And then Jesus tells the parable to unfold the irony. The brother who was flagrantly disregarding the Father, took his stuff and ran, is joyfully welcomed back home. And the brother who never physically left, outwardly left, gets angry and he remains outside of the banquet. Inside the house, he had any and everything he could possibly want or need. But his self-righteous anger said, I'm not going in to the banquet. And that's what Jesus means when he says over and over, the first will be last, younger brother. The last will be first. That's the younger brother, the older brother. So, what we see here is Jesus, not only then, but today, entreating, through the picture of the Father, entreating tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, drunks, drug addicts, and entreating religious, legalistic, self-righteous, persons. I can, yeah, kids, teenagers in here. Statistics say that of all the kids and teenagers in youth groups throughout this country in evangelicalism right now, enjoying their youth groups and all, statistics are that in five to ten years, seven out of every ten won't even be a churchgoer anymore. Because they never knew Him. They never were with the Father. They never embraced 
Him through Jesus Christ. They knew Bible stories. They took great pride in their religious, biblical knowledge. But they were prideful, hard-hearted Pharisees. Or they were just worldly prodigals who never had ears to hear. And so the Father was not their treasure. Here's the plea. Don't let that be you. And then to all of us, don't let it be you. We are all unworthy sinners. And God says, all that I have is yours. That's the gospel. All that I have, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, come unto me. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with Christ graciously, not pay, but give us all things? All that is mine is yours. Come. Whether you've been a believer for 30 years, come to be with the Father every day. Let's worship.